Thank you for listening to Industry, the world's only monthly educational podcast that covers the video game industry's history. My name is Eldar Basic, and this script was written and researched by Derek Rogers. This episode talks about the formation and history of the popular battle royale genre in its current form. So, thanks again for listening to the show, and I hope you learned something. Welcome again to the show. In the future, we're going to continue to host episodes on development companies, but we're also going to be doing episodes based on just single video game franchises, industry trends, or we're even going to cover legendary developers themselves. And we're finally on social media too, so you can find us on Instagram at IndustryPod and Twitter at IndustryCast. Also, be sure to give us those coveted five stars on iTunes and Google Play. We're on there now too. You can also find us on Podbean, Mixer, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All in all, there's a lot of really exciting things coming from the industry team, including guest appearances from industry insiders and community members, and we just cannot wait for you to be a part of it. But first, a message from our sponsors. Industry is sponsored by 8bit.net, a video game news and content site that is home to podcasts like The Hungry Gamers, 8BitCast, exclusive on Patreon Early Access, and more. They cover relevant topics in video games with their panel of hilariously accented and eccentric Australian hosts. One of my favorite shows is the new show, It Is What It Is, which aims to keep you caught up on everything going on in games and geek culture and politics and the wrestling-themed 8-Bit Mania and a lot more. 8-Bit also hosts a collection of other great third-party podcasts as well, from John O'Petch's eclectic interview series Putting in Work to Dash Culture, a geek culture show hosted by Dash and Bundy. 8-Bit also has a ton of quality, retro-fueled merch available on their website and a YouTube channel dedicated to video game reviews, first impressions, and let's plays. So, for everything gaming, Australian, and geeky, go on over to 8-Bit.net. What is a battle royale? I imagine the genre needs no explanation for even the most passive gamers among us. Even non-gaming parents everywhere know about the genre that has swept their kids into a sea of ever-growing gameplay and merchandising. However, for the uninitiated, or those of us that have not played a battle royale, allow me to explain. A battle royale puts a large number of players, usually around 100, onto a single map. From there, it is up to the players to scavenge, craft, outsmart, and fight their way to the top spot while the map slowly shrinks around them. Unlike other competitive modes out there, like Team Deathmatch or Capture the Objective, a Battle Royale mode hinges solely on being the last left alive, whether it be in a group or solo focus. This gameplay design leads to thrilling and harrowing moments, where you survive one intense enemy skirmish by the skin of your teeth only to find yourself amidst another life or death skirmish almost immediately after that. 
It creates a constant sense of rush and urgency, while also encouraging a playful mix of tactics and skill. This type of rush can only be crushed by the will of another player, but even then, you'll probably keep coming back for more. So let's examine why. What keeps players coming back to this style of game? Why has it grown exponentially over the past few years, and will it continue to grow? Or has it already reached its own apex? Let's find out together. So before we get into the full backstory of the rise of the, this powerhouse genre, let's take a look at why it has grown so much, and how it keeps its audience so engaged. This seems like a big question, but at its core, the idea is very simple. With the average battle royale having 99 losers and only one winner, when you lose, it subverts the isolation of failure that normally accompanies a loss. You're not only the only player who came up short. You, alongside your 98 slain brethren, all failed together. In traditional multiplayer, like Team Deathmatch, there's usually only one winner and one loser. This black and white rendering of competition creates a greater sense of failure. It means that one team is demonstrably more skilled than the other. Battle Royales have flipped that mentality completely on its head. Now, it's actually okay to lose, because 99% of other players do. And that makes it much easier to hop straight into another match, instead of feeling utter defeat at the hands of another. You feel the urge to do even better next time, and increase your ranking. To inch closer and closer towards perfection. And how do you stand out amongst the competition when you have such a slim chance of winning? Well, cosmetics, of course. If you cannot control the outcome of the match, you can surely control how you look and create an identity through an avatar, rather than establishing yourself through brute force and domination. This genre took losing and actually made it okay. It gave players the power to differentiate themselves even when they lack skill compared to others. That is this genre's greatest achievement. Almost anyone can play, and most of those people can find enjoyment, whether it be through discovering new tactics to turn the tide of battle, rolling up on others in their new outfits, or simply having a fun time with friends. This same accolade is the reason Battle Royales have been the genre of choice for the past three years. And there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. More and more Battle Royales come out, more and more people play them day to day, and companies find more and more ways to monetize them. Battle Passes allow players to purchase an entire suite of cosmetics to be earned, and live events keep players seemingly just interested indefinitely. This is a games as a service, and it is flourishing. Now that we have that out of the way, let's talk about the journey behind Battle Royale's launch into the stratosphere. Would you believe me if I told you that the first major instance of this genre was released as a free mod for the open-world military tactical shooter, Arma 2? Arma 2 released in 2009 with an expansion pack, Operation Arrowhead, which released in late 2010. With the release of this expansion pack came one of the most famous and inspired mods of all time. Some major outlets even called it the most fear-inducing game of 2012. You may know where I'm headed with this, but in 2012, a certain modder by the name of Dean Hall released the first version of DayZ. DayZ is an open-world multiplayer third-person shooter where the goal is to survive the zombie outbreak while gathering supplies and having dynamic encounters with other players. This mod lit a fire in the industry, and by the end of 2012, hundreds of thousands of new players purchased Arma 2 for the sole purpose of playing this wildly popular mod. 
Daisy was able to take something as simple as a zombie outbreak and turn it into a truly unique experience. Zombies were nothing compared to the violent and swift action that players would rain down upon each other. This fear, this inherent paranoia about other players, as well as the environment, is what made Daisy stand out, and players everywhere rejoiced. One of those players was Brendan Green. Brendan was enthralled with Daisy from the moment he first played it. It presented him with this rich, open world full of ever evolving gameplay, but somehow managed to stay grounded in a very realistic military setting. He was consumed by how satisfying it was to encounter so many other players. These encounters offered a level of gameplay depth that AI could never dream of achieving, and also led to scenarios with both hilarious and disturbing results. Stories of player interactions were the entire lifeblood of the community. After voraciously tearing into DayZ, Brendan started messing around on custom servers. It was on these custom servers that he began to mod the game on his own. Having played many multiplayer games in the past, Brendan was frustrated by the continuous use of small to medium-sized maps for combat. Instead, he wanted to create something much, much larger. This is why modding Daisy became integral to his idea. Daisy had the massive map, and it had the server capabilities. So, Brendan set to work. He drew inspiration not only from Daisy, but also from the 2000 film Battle Royale, in which a group of high schoolers fight to death in an arena. Sound familiar? In addition, at the time of development, Hunger Games was topping charts in movie theaters worldwide. The market was primed for more. After many months of tweaking and perfecting his DayZ modifications, Brendan was ready to release his creation to the world. DayZ Battle Royale released to player acclaim. Never had the player base experienced something so different and so refreshing. The level of player and community engagement was unprecedented. Players were thrilled to log in day in, day out for the chance to win it big just this once. At its peak, this mod of a mod drew hundreds of thousands of players at a time. It was the rise of something new. Something that would shape the future of the video game industry. Unfortunately, the mod didn't have the longest lifespan through no fault of its own. That same year, in 2013, is when a standalone version of DayZ launched on Steam's Early Access, which took a large portion of its audience with it. However, this setback would not deter Brendan. He immediately began developing the mod within Arma 3 instead. And so, Player Unknown's Battle Royale was born. This version of Player Unknown's mod would go on to be one of the most played Armor 3 mods of all time. Other developers within the industry quickly took notice of Brendan's work, and soon after his Armor 3 success, he was approached by Sony Online Entertainment to help them develop their own version of his mod for their game, H1Z1. Eventually, this led to the release of H1Z1 King of the Hill, which while somewhat popular, never achieved the success of its predecessor. Eventually, H1Z1 King of the Hill was renamed Z1 Battle Royale, 
while still played, it has mostly become a footnote in the story of the Battle Royale genre. Brendan's contract ended with Sony Interactive Online in 2016, and almost immediately after he was approached by Blue Hole Incorporated a short time later, and he was named creative director of the company. Finally, Brendan had all of the tools at his fingertips to realize his true vision for the genre he had helped bolster. This new title would be the ultimate version of Brendan's Battle Royale concept. On March 23, 2017, Blue Hole released the newest Battle Royale into the wild, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. It became a titan in the gaming industry almost instantly. It featured realistic weapons, a military aesthetic, and an absolutely enormous map for players to explore. Friends around the world immediately armored themselves up, loaded their guns, and hopped in a four-man jeep to mow other teams down. Nothing could match that adrenaline rush from being in that final royale circle with growing unease at the back of your mind and no one else in sight. Panic, and you die. Three months after launch, they had already sold over 5 million copies. In the first four months of release, players had already completed 10 million rounds of Battlegrounds. That equates to roughly 25 years of playtime. By August of 2017, PUBG had a peak concurrent player count of over 1.25 million players. The game became such a success for Bluehole that in September of that same year, they rebranded their entire development subsidiary, PUBG Corp. Nothing could keep Brandon and his team down until a new challenger approached. Travel back with me to the year 2011. Epic Games had just released Gears of War 3, which completed their Gears trilogy. Cliff Blazinski was still on board with Epic Games, and after that major game launch, Epic Games held an internal game jam. For people unfamiliar with game jams, they're just a lively gathering of game designers where different teams of developers have a limited amount of time to produce a game from nothing. From this game jam came something that would shape the modern culture of gaming as we know it. With Epic becoming increasingly interested in games as service, one of the gaming industry's favorite buzz terms, they took this construction-based game and decided it could be their live service game. After multiple delays, Epic had their game ready to launch into paid early access in July of 2017. Fortnite had landed. However, in its early days, Fortnite was not the game that you see plastered across the internet today. At launch, Fortnite was all about one thing, four-player, co-op, wave-based, tower defense. By August, there were over a million players. The early access was going pretty well, but it did not take long for the executives over at Epic Games to notice the massive sales and continued success of PUBG. The gears began to turn, and developers went into overdrive behind Epic's doors. By September of 2017, Epic released their newest addition to the early access of Fortnite. Fortnite Battle Royale. These names sure are clever, aren't they? Fortnite set itself apart from PUBG by featuring a colorful, very cartoony aesthetic and implementing the building system from its co-op mode. Is someone about to take a shot at you? Build a wall. No Trump joke included. Do you need to overcome an obstacle in your way? Build a ramp over it. The crafting system added a whole new level of verticality to the battle royale genre and it was adored by players worldwide. 
Not long after its release, Epic realized that they could actually make more money by releasing the Battle Royale mode for free while only charging for cosmetic items in-game. This erupted into a firestorm that blazes to this very day. A true cultural phenomenon. In its first two weeks of release with this new freemium model, Fortnite Battle Royale had over 10 million active players, the largest launch of a Battle Royale to date. By 2018, Fortnite had already released a treasure trove of outfits, a steady wave of ever-improving gameplay updates, and a new season pass model that would be imitated by every Battle Royale thereafter. By holding seasons in the game, the developers could keep their players engaged with the promise of a constant feed of new outfits and content for their fans to devour. In addition to this, these constant updates allowed the developers to have some fun with their audience by teasing each new season with easter eggs hidden in the game. Who could forget the dotting of small orbs across the starry sky and then mysterious small meteors appearing only for the game's fourth season to launch with a massive meteor strike right into Dusty Dito. In that very same season, Fortnite intelligently played off the success of Avengers Infinity War by adding a brand new mode that let players become the mad titan himself, Thanos. Fortnite even paid homage to the popular iOS game series Infinity Blade, which I hold near and dear to my heart, by adding the Infinity Blade itself into the game in December of 2018. This kind of thought and engagement bred a fanbase that lived in the stories of the game. That is where Fortnite shines the most. It brings extraordinary to the ordinary and emphasizes interaction over competition. This mindset and culture could not be contained and as time went on, Fortnite has only continued its gargantuan growth. As of this recording, Fortnite is closing in on over 250 million players. The population of the United States is currently around 327 million, so think about that for a second. Suffice to say, Fortnite is here to stay and with it, the battle royale genre. Epic was not the only AAA development studio to take notice of the rising tide of Battle Royales. Amidst the success of Fortnite and PUBG, one of the largest franchises of all time was about to toss its hat into the ring of Battle Royales. In March of 2018, Activision unveiled Call of Duty Black Ops 4. Call of Duty, international gaming juggernaut, was joining the Royale fray. It would be the first game in the series to completely lack a single player campaign. The decision to cut out single player was a bold move that upset a lot of players, but Activision wanted to get a piece of the monetary action. In exchange for this sacrifice, it would have a new battle royale mode, named Blackout. Similar to PUBG, it was set to be a more grounded shooter experience. Blackout looked like an even bigger PUBG version of PUBG, with air, sea, and land vehicles mixed into the existing chaos. It would feature all of the genre staples we come to expect. A shrinking ring that drives players inwards, the need to scavenge weapons and healing items, and so on and so forth. Set to release in October of 2018, Battle Royale and Call of Duty players alike were excited to get their hands on Black Ops 4. To absolutely no one's surprise though, Black Ops 4 sold incredibly well upon its launch in October. In just the first three days, Black Ops 4 had made $500 million. Initially, players were really engaged with the new Blackout mode on offer. It felt like a finely polished version of PUBG. However, after not too long, players became upset with many of the game's shortcomings. Map packs couldn't be purchased outside of a season pass, and microtransactions were in the range of $2 for something as simple as a red dot site. 
After paying $60 for the game, players really began to notice these inflated costs, especially when Fortnite could be played for free. Though it has lost a chunk of its player base in the past few months, Blackout is looking to revitalize its engagement by going free for the entire month of April in 2019 and adding a brand new map. Time will tell if Blackout has what it takes to remain relevant in this now crowded genre. With these two new major battle royales looming over them, PUBG needed to do something pretty quick. They were bleeding players left and right to Fortnite and to the promise of Blackout. All for one simple reason. In 2018, over a year of early access, PUBG still felt unpolished. The Xbox version could barely maintain 30 frames per second, and litanies of bugs could be found sprawled across every single PUBG message board and Reddit thread. Players were no longer as enthralled with Brendan's creation. After the release of Fortnite and Season Pass, PUBG Corp rushed to copy the Season Pass model in order to make even more money. As gamers felt more and more neglected, they began to accuse Brendan and his team of only caring about financial gain. Finally, in August of 2018, the team over at PUBG Corp launched the Fix PUBG campaign. This campaign was meant to address all the players' biggest concerns of the game. Through the efforts of the developers, over 100 major bugs were addressed, frame rates were improved, and more than 2 million accounts were banned for cheating. Even though this Fix PUBG campaign ended in November of 2018 with a lot of bugs unresolved, the developers have promised stability over new content for the 2019 year. And where's Brendan Green in this plan? As of April 2019, he's actually left PUBG Corp to work on something completely new with a different team, bringing his Battle Royale saga to an end. So how will PUBG fare without its progenitor? With Fortnite still on the rise and another contender in the fight, PUBG has a tough road ahead of it. February 4th, 2019 was just another Monday. Great games, and not enough time in the world to enjoy them all. It was on February 4th that EA did something simultaneously unexpected and refreshing. Respawn Entertainment, the talented studio behind Titanfall 1 and 2, had been secretly developing a battle royale game, and EA announced to the world that it was playable right then and there. Everyone rushed to download this new take on the battle royale genre. What could the brilliant minds behind the fluid and cinematic Titanfall titles have in store for us? It turns out something that profoundly stands alone among the ranks. Respawn took the main mechanics behind battle royales and merged them with a hero system, much like Overwatch. Players set out in squads of three, each picking their hero to play for the match. Each hero has a distinct identity and special abilities to match. Some characters have massive dome shields to protect their entire team, while others have the ability to create quick travel portals for narrow escapes. And some bring the thunder with airstrikes. No matter your style of play, there's a hero for you in Apex Legends. In addition to having playable hero classes, Respawn added quality of life changes that Battle Royale fans had never known. In other Battle Royales at the time, if you found something like a weapon that an ally may need, you either had to call it in in the communications or type it into chat but not in Apex. If you see items someone else needs in Apex, you simply hit a button, usually the right bumper, and that item is marked for the whole game. They can even see exactly what the item is and where. This may sound insignificant, but fans of the genre immediately rejoiced, as this intelligent game design fixed a problem players never even knew that they had. Item pinging is such a significant addition to the genre that Epic Games has since added it in Fortnite. Another common complaint among Battle Royale fans for a long time was the inability to revive a down teammate when playing in groups. Players hated that a down member was out for good, but not in Apex. Respawn was one step ahead of the competition again. 
In Apex, if a player on your squad is downed, you simply grab their player attack from their body and take it to a respawn beacon. Easier said than done, but you get it. Here, you can respawn your ally in a matter of seconds. This is a game changer. It provided a new layer to the teamwork dynamic, while also creating a slightly more forgiving play experience. Needless to say, with incredible polish from Respawn, a vibrant roster of likable characters, and the addition of genre-pushing modifications, Apex became an overnight success. So, by the end of its first week of release, it had 25 million players, and, jaw-droppingly, in its first month saw 50 players arrive. Even though its first season just launched to little fanfare, due to a lack of quality season pass content, I and Derek cannot wait to see where Apex Legends is by the end of 2019. From a mod of a mod to a cultural phenomenon, the battle royale genre has become the undisputed king of video games. Though there are other battle royales such as Rum Royale and The Culling, these games lack the innovation and impact of the aforementioned titles. To think that something as simple as one player's whim could snowball from a small cult phenomenon to a full-on AAA avalanche, altering the industry's terrain forever. The power of this medium over other forms of storytelling is their capacity for immersion and the ability to choose your own adventure. The rapid success of Battle Royales is proof positive that the agency players have in individual games is merely a microcosm of the industry at large, and that players truly hold the keys to unlocking the future of our industry. Thank you so much for listening to Industry. This episode was brought to you by 8bit.net. The music for this show is from copyright-free music agencies and by Mitch Murder. You can find him on SoundCloud at Mitch Murder. This script was written by Derek Rogers and recorded and produced by me, Eldar Basic. We're finally on social media too. So you can find us on Instagram at IndustryPod and Twitter at IndustryCast. Also, like I mentioned earlier, be sure to give us those five stars on iTunes and Google Play. We're on there now, too. Trying to get on Spotify, but we'll get there. We'll get there. All in all, there's a ton of exciting things coming from the industry team, and we can't wait for you to be a part of it. We're launching episode one of Industry Talk soon with an awesome special first guest who you all may know. Either way, please follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Eldar Talks and my other scriptwriter at Derek Logic on Twitter. I hope you learned something, and we'll see you next time on Industry. Industry.